Welcome to Every Dimension. This podcast is created for those buying and selling design. Our aim is to explore how to demand more from design and how to deliver it, as we all need to keep growing brands when tomorrow's challenges and opportunities come in every dimension. Every Dimension is created by the Agency Path and hosted by me, a founder, Thomas Herman. Welcome to another edition of Every Dimension, Demand More From Design. This time we are joined by Minnie Mole. Hello, Minnie. Hello, good morning. Morning. Minnie Mole is currently Chief Executive of the Design Council. The Design Council is the National Strategic Advisor on Design, whose purpose is to make life better by design. And they work with people to create better places, better products and better processes, all of which lead to better performance. Minnie was also previously running advertising agencies. She's marketed innovation agencies and also headed up a, a number of retail groups. So that's a, a little bit from my notes about Minnie, but let's uh, uh, speak to you direct and, and have, some, have some questions. One thing we like to do to warm things up is just have a set of sort of A or B kind of questions. Are you, are you up for that? I am. Great, great. Well, so first one is coffee or tea? Tea. Tea, tea, no doubt about that. Brilliant. Cheese or chocolate? Both, if it had to be one. Cheese. Yeah, good answer. Good answer. I like that. Uh, beer or wine? Wine. Good, good. Town or country? I'm going to be greedy and say that has to be both and is one of the positive outcomes of hybrid working for me. Absolutely, absolutely. You're in the countryside at the moment. Yeah, I am. I'm in on the Suffolk-Norfolk border. Oh, lovely, lovely. Um, retail or agency? Oh, it became retail. I would actually say, yeah, retail. Yeah, yeah. But you started your life in, in, in agency and sort of moved that way? Yeah. I did. And what, what were the things about retail that you enjoyed? On one hand, it's actually the thing I loved in agencies, working on loads of different sectors. But there's something deeply satisfying about working really deeply on one thing uh, and that was the retail but retail in the UK it's fast it's competitive it draws on everything about customer understanding innovation it's, a, it's an interesting sector to work in yeah 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 they say retail is in the detail have you heard that is that true it is yeah yeah it really is it's it's all about detail it's all about detail well thanks for those answers it's given us a little bit of a warm-up and a, and a bit of a insight to your uh, your thoughts so the next thing we like to do is ask our guests, you know, how they got to where they are in their career. And it's always good to go as far back as you possibly can. And can I ask, you know, how you started out? What was your very first job? And then uh, perhaps how it got to where you are now? So I think the very, very first thing I ever got paid any money for, and actually this is probably quite formative. My father was a farmer and we grew arable crops and potatoes and one of the most horrible jobs was to walk along in the in the dirt in the field behind the potato machine and what it did is it 
it, it, it basically it dug up the potatoes, it went along a little conveyor belt, but all the really tiny ones dropped out back into the field. And my brother and I had to go along behind the potato machine with the dust going in our faces, picking up the baby potatoes and putting them into a basket. And actually, and, you know, we were the farmer's kids, but we got no special treatment and we got probably some dreadful slave labor wage for my father. But actually, I look back on that. Then it was, you know, growing up in the country, next jobs you could get was bar work, lots of bar work um, along the way. I worked in pretty much every pub in the local vicinity over the years. Yeah, I'm a farmer's son, so I've done something similar. Yeah, it's quite uh, good to work on the land and do a bit of graft uh, to start out. I think it is, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so so from that kind of beginnings, how did you then venture on to agencies and, and retail and where you are now? I did, before and after my degree, I travelled a lot. I went to America for a year before my degree. I went to Australia for a year after, lots and lots of travelling. And when I landed back in the UK after all this travelling, my first kind of proper job when I got back was on reception in an advertising agency in London. And because mates had told, some mates were in advertising by this time, were saying it was good fun. So on reception with pink hair and a tutu. Um, I, I, so that was my first job that then, and it's a brilliant, brilliant position to get a really good view of actually of an agency sort of how it works the people the, the personalities so that actually then that led to me doing a dnad course and doing other stuff and then working in advertising for for a big old slug of time i always think that front of house is an essential job and a really hard job you know uh, you know i think people it's good that when people stick at it you're always glad when people really stick at it because it because it's something that people tend to want to move on from but it's, it's it's key isn't it having a really good front of house person it really is and actually it's interesting isn't it when you look back about things stepping stones and they were kind of meant I really enjoyed it and I have to say I was pretty blinking good at it because I really enjoyed meeting the people was the pink hair and pink tutu a daily thing or did it change every day it changed over time, but I loved the fact, this is a shout out actually for a wonderful um, character from advertising, Hamish Pringle. And I look back and really credit him for hiring this slightly ditzy young woman with pink hair and a tutu, but he did. And he was happy to put me on front on, you know, put me front of house. Yeah, brilliant. Well, probably, probably helped a lot. Uh, great. So yeah, that, that sort of what you gave you the sort of insight to what the advertising industry was like and it was that kind of just a yeah and and sort of natural progress of through roles and and up to senior level within those agencies it really was and actually you know I look back on it my degree was was um art and drama was creative arts and actually to a great extent it's it's commercial creativity isn't it really kind of there's a whole load of the creative industries commercial creativity and I kind of fell into it via reception but I look back and I, I was in the right place. I was in the right place. I, I, had, I worked up through and actually became an account handler. I wasn't good enough to be an art director. I really wasn't. I became a, a, an account handler with creative sensibility and a certain amount of creative skill. And I think that's actually good to have an account handler with those qualities. Yeah, then I became new business director, marketing director, and then managing partner um, of a fabulous agency called HHCL. Yeah. And then you moved on to an innovation agency at, at some point, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I did. And that was that was, again, a lovely, lovely step because um, 
was a fantastic again i've been privileged to work at really good organizations um still going strong a global innovation company called what if not just interesting because of the brilliant innovation work it does but at the time we won best place to work in the uk two years running so very very strong on culture Culture has been a passion for me ever since. Culture of organisations and all the implications for leadership. So it was a that was a wonderful place to work. Yeah, and was the move from advertising to innovation easy? Was there a big difference, or was it quite similar? Lots of similarity, but but the real difference, really, for me, being very often in advertising, the creative output is a very tangible. Yeah, uh, obviously these days it's so much more digital, but showing my age much more than it may have been may have been a multimedia campaign of film print radio whatever it was and actually in innovation the breadth of it so we as an as an agency were working on AstraZeneca you know helping them design and innovate new drugs through to Schiphol airport helping them innovate how to reduce their turnaround time on the tarmac you know and I think that that the breadth of of creative problem solving in innovation I think is exciting yeah and the outputs are very different aren't they sometimes it's a report or something it's a thing or yeah sometimes it's a list of next steps yeah 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 brilliant yeah okay and sometimes the out the output you know is not there in your hands it's you know if a, if a plane can turn around faster on the tarmac at Schiphol that's the outcome yeah brilliant and then how do you go from agency through to retail to uh, national strategic advisor yes interesting again how these things often happen so I I am an East Anglian girl lived in London for years then moved back to East Anglia and wanted to kids were seven and a whole load of reasons wanted to move to the country so that was okay I don't want to commute uh, what am I gonna do here and actually I kind of fell into my first role, which was as marketing director of a um, garden centre organisation, third biggest in the in the UK, retail, and then actually that then led into the next one, which was chief exec of the East of England Co-op, big, big, uh, three hundred fifty million turnover, retail retail organisation, yeah which led into the next retail so it was sort of circumstance and moving but I was you know I, I it felt very positive to be moving into retail at that time and that experience almost makes you the perfect kind of candidate for the role you're in now really because you've worked with creatives and the agency side you've worked with the clients buying design you've worked with you know a few of the clients that are, you know really feeling the impact of all this kind of stuff is that fair to say it really is, which is why I, I do believe in serendipity. I really, really do. I look at my own stepping stones and how they've unfolded. So, so yes, so on the design, it's that thing of me being a commissioner of design. You know, I commissioned a fabulous designer to do a wonderful packaging redesign for, my, for, for the company I was working for, which won awards, I hasten to say. I was a team commissioning designers to design and build a next generation garden centre which won an award. So actually really good being the commissioner as well as the agency side. And the, and the, the role at the Design Council popped up in LinkedIn and it was like a kind of little magnetic draw. It kept popping up, go LinkedIn. It kept popping up and it was just calling me. And, and, and to your point, it really does feel like I've come full circle 
back in back in the creative industries but i hope bringing commercial mouse sharp end experience that 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 you know that that's useful to bring to the role brilliant i gave you your kind of um official intro um but do you mind just in your own words describing what you know you what the design council does and your kind of current projects yeah so the design council is the national strategic advisor on design and a bit of context for anyone who doesn't know we were created by winston churchill's government in 1944 expressly to put design at the heart of building back after the war you know at the heart of industry and that was very much about building um a consumer society here in the UK and also with an eye to export and so on. Over the decades, we've been very much focused on, on uh, product and industrial, but actually as the understanding and concept of design has grown into service design, much more recently, systemic design, of course, digital design, um, it, you know, we have, have sought to kind of really change and expand with that and, and the understanding and the kind of edges of people's understanding of design so very much the power of design thinking as well as design practice and design doing so so what do we do as the um, advisor we give strategic advice we work with organizations to actually help build their capability around design thinking to therefore also make them better commissioners of design if they understand design we absolutely seek to champion design the value of design the importance of design we do some big things like our design economy research which we do about every three years which is you know it is respected around the world the government used stats that we come up with you know that, that there's you know nearly uh, well, 1.97 million people working in the design community, kind of the value, et cetera. We increasingly, I really want us to do more of showcasing brilliant design, shining a light, you know, case studies. Um, I want us to get back to actually doing some awards. Um, so there's other things. And one of the things that we do a lot of that I think is very important in the design community is, is convening and curating. So our Design for Planet Festival, for example, that we've done two of now, we're doing another one this year, bringing really brilliant speakers together, a two-day event, over 6,000 people joined it online, uh, free, and so this role that we have as champions of design uh, to, to, to convene, inspire, and, and engage designers. So, yeah, that, that, that's what we do. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, and obviously you mentioned design many times there. And design is a very small word that means very many things. Do, do you have a particular viewpoint on, on how we should understand design or, or kind of options on how we should understand it? So I think it's one where we have to try to live with the fact that there are multiple definitions. John Sorrell, um, with, through London uh, Design Festival, has recently released a book with 100 different different definitions of design from different designers and they vary quite differently so I think we have to agree that it's okay to have lots of definitions my definition or the phrase that I use a lot is that design shapes the world and the reason I use that's not really a definition but it's a 
thought about design. The reason I say that a lot to people is people who don't think about design very much. If you say design shapes the world, literally every single thing around you has been designed by someone. People sort of go, oh yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. This table, the clothes you're wearing, your glasses, the house you're in, the car you get into, the town you're in. So, so this notion of how design shapes the world around us, I think is quite, it's very simple, but I think it's quite powerful. Yeah, and it's fantastic because that, that covers, like you say, uh, how things look and feel and, and and how we desire things but also systems like you said towns and how they work and you know how they function so yeah that's it's lovely and that's a great reference to um john sorrell i have to look that up and it's nice yeah i think it, i think it's one of those things we should admit yeah it's okay to have different definitions of design that's great yeah i, I think it is I, th I think it is because you I, and the book's lovely i've got it and the, all of the all of the def definitions are glorious well thank you for that Time is ticking, so I'll, I'll, I'll get into um, some of the, the meat of my questions. I think what was interesting for, for myself and perhaps our listeners was that the Design Council exists and it has this kind of function, but what do you think is the, the sort of bottom line effect for businesses that buy design, the designers that are operating and selling the design, um, some of our team at PATH perhaps, and then ultimately the kind of citizens that you know we're designing for perhaps? And you mean what do we do for each? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Is it different or is it all the same kind of thing? Yeah. So I think just starting with the designers again, I, I think, you know, we really do want to be able to be the voice for design because of the access and relationship that we have with government, because part of our work, which I didn't touch on before, is advocacy and policy. You know, I forgot that before. That's really, really important. So one of our roles on behalf of designers is to help um, help make it uh, uh, create the environment in which design can thrive, good design can thrive, the conditions for design to thrive. I think then with commissioners of design, it is this piece about helping grow their understanding of the importance of design, the work, the work that we do with them on kind of capability building about design thinking without question then makes them better, more intentional commissioners of design. Because, you know, one of the key things they get is that you don't bring design in at the end. A lot of people, I think you kind of bring design in at the end to make it look nice. So the whole thing when we've done good work with an organization is that, they, excuse me, they understand, no, no, design is absolutely involved right at the beginning. You know, for those people, your listeners, who I'm sure will mainly be familiar with the double diamond, that's a big point of it. It's that piece at the beginning where you really interrogate um, what's the problem we're trying to solve, listen to multiple stakeholders, you know, to really, really do that expansionist thinking before you get reductionist. So, so that's, I think, kind of market making, if you will. Um, with government, yeah, it's about improving their understanding because they're commissioners of design so they're better commissioners um, and then there's public and this is really important because this is in our charitable objects is to improve the understanding of the public of design the importance of design and one of the key things that we're working on here is a particular outcome much needs to be designed around design education 
And that's not just about getting young people to think design is an inspiring, brilliant career, but we need their mum and dads to think that design is an, is an inspiring, brilliant career too. So there's a big piece with the public to get people really engaged, thinking what a cool thing to go into. Fantastic. Yeah. So that, that's really nice to see that sort of three point sort of three points of support. Yeah. The, the business that, you know, needs to understand how to use design and, and trying to build it in as early as possible, supporting the designers to, to do the best work they possibly can, and then helping the public understand the value of design and also encourage more, more talent to come into the system. So that the whole thing can kind of drive itself through. So that's, so that's cool. Good, good stuff. You mentioned the double diamond. I was just make, making sure I could express it. For, for our listeners but I think that's you know it's the there's different types of words used but it's usually the four d's it's probably something around discover discovering or or looking for the opportunities defining the opportunities developing some solutions and then delivering those solutions and that's sort of going broad and then narrowing down and going broad and narrowing down that kind of thing so yeah great and then uh I think it was quite interesting to ask perhaps a lot of the guests we've had on this podcast so far are from commercial entities so obviously buying design for for, for sort of ultimately to, to drive bottom line you know profit maybe prosperity is 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 the is the is the is the polite version of that the design council the design council obviously supports that but is there a, another kind of reason for for, for design and, and supporting design you know beyond commercial profit and can you talk to that a little bit for us so in terms of projects that we've worked on in the past, that you know, we have really great evidence about the economic value of design, and our design economy research shows that. But actually, this year, for the first time, our design economy work also is also measuring the social and environmental impact of design. And this is, you know, in terms of the social, I think there's some really headline things around when design is inclusive. Or not inclusive. There is an absolute piece around, and that's the, in the first half of the double diamond, the way that good design being really human-centered, people-centered, there's such an opportunity there to absolutely think about kind of marginalized people, you know, not just the inclusivity there, but to really, really think about how this is going to work for the people in the world. You know, there's loads of issues just we know about gender, uh, you know, about crash test dummies being designed it, it, around the male form and actually more women dying in crashes as a cause so there's all kinds of stuff there and also of course you get into placemaking in particular I think the ramifications around the social impact of great design when you're building the places that live and then very important for us is the environmental impact which really does then you know lead me into talking about our design for planet mission and the simple thought that every designer and commissioner of design now has to be looking through a sustainability lens. Yeah, I think I've, I've got a couple of questions coming up, which I think would lead you into that design for planet piece. We'll, let, we'll come to that. And I, I, thanks for that kind of um, broader explanation. It always reminds me of a statement I've seen in some of your marketing that, you know, that whatever the question, design has an answer. So, you know, I think that's a quite a nice way to think about design. Can I just add uh, just a little thought here? Because actually, I think there's um, my just as I was about to take the job at the Design Council, I was at my chiropractor, Mandy's, and she was pummeling me. And we were talking about the role and design. And I thought this was so interesting. She was so 
astute about the power of design. And she was saying one of the things that really uh, enrages her is the design of chairs in primary schools. And she said, basically, it's an example of where chairs have been designed for stacking instead of being designed for the development of a young person's spine. And I just thought that was such a beautiful observation and example of about intentional and unintentional design. And, uh, and that's my chiropractor, who is not a design practitioner. And I just thought, but I thought it's a great example of about, um, and that's not so much necessarily social, that's actually about kind of health and well-being being an aspect of how we're designing fantastic yeah you, you might have noticed 2023 is my my year of standing up i've now got a standing up desk which hopefully your chiropractor will think is a good idea definitely great so thanks for that we're on to the sort of the the, the back half of my questions now and um hopefully we've just got enough time to go through those so um yeah the the next section is to kind of ask uh, in in the context of what we do i we often say uh, at path we design better experiences um, and expressions to help grow businesses and brands. But that's in light of the challenges and opportunities that we see in every dimension. You know, there's so many. So we're asking our guests, what 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 challenges, what opportunities do you see for, for, for your business, the design council, your, your organization, and perhaps how might designers or design best, you know, approach those or affect them? I can't help at the moment, but just go to the really, really big challenges of uh, the cost of living, well, the climate crisis, the cost of living crisis, the health crisis, the, uh, uh, I wouldn't, well, the Ukraine, which I think is just sort of there for all of us, whether we're thinking about it every day or not. And then you layer on smaller, but real issues coming out of COVID around hybrid working and all of the changes. So we really are at a time of seismic shift and it feels like we've just had one thing after another. So I think one of the biggest challenges I feel for the Design Council right now is how to get, how to keep focus and people's attention on, on our mission, our Design for Planet mission, because I get it. Human beings right now are dealing with the challenge that's right in front of them. And implications of the climate crisis seem far away, although less far away, given the floods, the wildfires, the drought. You know, I, I think we're, we, we are again at a tipping point because people are starting to feel the pain of it. But I think that's one of the challenges is how do you cut through all of this uh, angst at the moment with the with it, for us our key message around design for planet and perhaps you know you're very you're right that the the longer term challenge of climate and design for planet it, it, it is there but actually lots of the other problems and crises are, are quite are related to that aren't they you know the supply chains and reliance on energy and uh, across international markets and things like that are all related aren't they to to the way we approach the way we've approached consumption and the way we've approached things in the past so yeah a kind of reset and a and these 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 horrible things that are happening which are actually showing us more boldly you know that the, the problems that we might face if we if we don't do something about it so yeah you know, designers can help in, in many ways. Is there, is there one kind of starting point or, or kind of place you would, you would recommend or is it just to be part of the, part of the conversation and, and, and being involved? 
So around Design for Planet, which, which is our mission, but I do see it very much as a rallying cry for designers and commissioners of design. There's, there's kind of three things for me, which are the real kind of, what can I do right here, right now? The first one uh, is the brief, the importance of the brief. And so my, the thought is, make sure there is a table for planet at the brief. Almost have an empty chair at the table to kind of make the point, to make you and the client think about the planet. And so that to me, have, have planet at, at the briefing table. The second thing is to always remember 80%. A fact we use a lot at the Design Council is that 80% of the environmental impact of any new product is determined at design stage. Now, I, you know, I can't give you the stat for designing a service, but I suspect it's not very different. 80% is determined at design stage. So if, you, if you've got planet at the table, you're remembering that 80%, it really helps you focus on the power and implications of, and I know this is your thing, of the choices and decisions that are made at that time. And then the third thing for me, I think everyone needs to be aware of is the new elements to think about, circularity, materiality, modularity, and more. I think it's to, for people to be able to say, I could do with some more skills on that. Or some more training on that you know a lot of people did their design training years ago and didn't really spend time on those things um so i think it's kind of people going i could really do with a some some more skills and tools around this to help me help me design for planet there's some great advice there thank you we'll all try and work on some of those and, and the idea of yeah having planet um sitting at the table like a like a consumer or a customer that we're designing for, I think is a nice thing to visualize. Okay, Minnie, thank you. We are fortunately running out of time. So I'm going to come to the uh, the end of our questions, but it's been, it's been lovely to speak to you. And the way we like to, uh, we like to end our podcast is sort of three main questions. It starts with, if you could demand more from design, if you could demand anything and anything is possible, you know, you've got a magic wand, which problem would you choose to solve? I'm going to have to go, big which is a group of brilliant designers in a room visioning a joined up energy future focused energy infrastructure in the UK and I think I think we've had conversations about this in the past isn't it that one of the functions of design designers and creators is, is to paint those visions of the future so people can kind of get their head around what it what it might look like you know if we did this this then this I know it sounds hard but it could look like this and then people will get behind it and you can kind of yeah have a have a north star as they say to sort of follow this yeah and then and then uh last couple of questions there is the kind of sort of best piece of advice you think you've received or is there a kind of mantra or motto you kind of try to use in your in your um your day-to-day -day life there's loads the people who work with me i drive them mad with my little snippets and sound bites i can't help it the one i will always come back to and it's Henry Ford, he gave good quote, and it is, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. It, and I, I just love that because it's actually, to me, it's all about, we can do extraordinary things and it does ultimately come down to belief. 
it really does. You know, the people who really change the world, it's because they believe they can and they do. Having that right frame of mind. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. And then last question. It's always nice to hear kind of professionals recommendations and, and sort of thoughts on what you're reading or listening to or, or perhaps what to avoid in terms of that kind of content um what, what what might you recommend to our to our listeners okay on my audible right now i'm addicted to audible michelle obama's second book i i think she is such an inspiration in so many ways you know a young black woman from a fairly humble uh, kind of background, you know, ending up in the White House. And and the irony for me, or not the irony, the gorgeous proof that this woman from fairly humble backgrounds took to the White House so much integrity, so much class, uh, so much wisdom. Uh, So I think she's amazing. Yeah, fantastic. Good recommendation. Yeah, I've not read... Uh, her books yet but I think I will have to yeah so thanks very much that's a great recommendation great well well Minnie I'm, I'm very sorry we're, we're out of time but it's been lovely to speak to you and, and it's been great to sort of cover some of that ground and, and get an understanding I think it's great for us to understand you know what the design council represents and it is this kind of this um this team and organization that we can as designers we can look to for advice and support and and also as designers we can try and support you you know i think there's lots of things we can do together to try and push the agenda and and you know make um make the world a better place without sounding too uh too grand but i think it's been lovely to talk to you Minnie. thank you very much for your time thank you for having me enjoyed it fantastic and uh any notes and references you've made we'll try and uh, look those up and put them in in the show notes and um we'll keep in touch Thank you very much. You have been listening to Every Dimension, brought to you by PATH. Join in the conversation on LinkedIn using the hashtag Every Dimension or on Instagram at WeArePath. For more information on how we design brands better in every dimension, please visit wearepath.com forward slash every dimension here you'll find all our other podcasts and 20 years of experience helping brands diagnose opportunities and challenges then designing identity experience and innovation to deliver on them this podcast is created and produced by path if you have enjoyed this podcast Why not leave us a review on Spotify or iTunes? Thank you.